Hello and welcome to Women on the Line, a national women's current affairs program providing a gender analysis of contemporary issues from Australia and internationally. I'm Giselle Hanna. We're coming into the end of the financial year and many community radio stations across the country are likely in the throes of fundraising, radiothons and subscriber drives. It's a good time to reflect on the importance of community broadcasting, particularly in giving voices to those that are often kept out of the media. On today's program of Women on the Line, we focus on the importance of community radio in showcasing stories from women's perspectives. You might have heard of WINGS, the Women's International News Gathering Service. Your community radio station might even broadcast WINGS. In May this year, WINGS hosted an international webcast where the producer there, Frida Worden, gathered women community broadcasters from right across the world and we spent about two hours together live on the web discussing how and why we got involved in community broadcasting and how it's enabled women to get connected. This week's show features excerpts from this webcast and particularly you'll hear the voices of Frida Worden, the host of the webcast and of Wings, the first guest, Sheila Katzman, and the second guest, Kate Raphael. First up, Frida introduces Sheila Katzman. Let's go to New York and let's talk to Sheila Katzman, Sheila Patsy Katzman, who's a freelance radio producer and initiator of something called Socio Radio. She is uh, she has many uh, credits. She's uh, besides radio, she's chairing the Cities for CEDAW initiative because the United States has not ratified the UN Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women. She has been a producer at Community Radio WBAI and produced women's programs. She, uh, I'm most impressed perhaps by that she was a uh, the chief of UN Radio for the largest peacekeeping mission in the history of the United Nations in Sierra Leone and helped to build the peace through radio. And she's also an applied theater practitioner and uh, many other things. Sheila, are you there? Hi, so, hello everybody. I was wondering, Sheila, uh, among all these things, if you would be willing to talk a little bit about how radio um, made the peace in Sierra Leone or helped to make the peace. Who did you put on the radio and um, how did you get them involved and what was the result? Um, well, first, I, I would say that it's when you are thrown into a situation like the UN always do with their staff when they send them to the send them to the field is that you sink or swim. So for me I looked at the situation that was going on in Sierra Leone and then began to talk to people on the ground, including UN agencies, government, etc. And everybody was hostile to peacekeeping at the time. So you need to hear from everybody, every group, and find out which is the best angle to take to go forward with this. And so this helped to design and develop the program. And when I went to Sierra Leone, the war was raging in the East. And um, and how do you deal with that? How do you get the the fighters to come to the, to the table? So um, I realized that the 
fight wars across Africa in the name of Bob Marley. I don't know if you ever heard that. And so I started to look at Bob Marley, and when, when I opened the radio station, I played nothing but music, and that includes quite a bit of Bob Marley music, but music that, that has messages of peace, of hope, of happiness, and that sort of thing. And then after a while, NGOs who were allowed behind Rebel Lines would come back and tell us that, oh, you know, this radio is a radio of the rebels. They are listening to the radio so um, because they like the music you're playing. They're even taping the music from the radio station. <laughs> and that, that was good. So I know I have them now. And so another aspect of that was training the staff to do likewise. Because the, the agreement with the UN was that we couldn't poach any of the local staff in the three radio stations that were still running in Sierra Leone. They didn't want the UN to touch any of their staff. So I take even the cleaner, the woman I was cleaning my office, and teach her to use radio and put her on the radio. And so that's how we start getting the message out to, to different people. And then during the music, um, in the midst of music, we start putting in um, little bits and pieces of messages, you know, like a cart, but little bits of messages, you know, like um, fight men need to put on their guns and come, you know, and come forward because the UN is here for the people and the government of Sierra Leone. And we want them to realize that they were the people of Sierra Leone too. They were part of the people of Sierra Leone. So I'm sure maybe some of you heard about Rambo, who was really one of the very wicked guys in Sierra Leone for the West Side Boys. So there were different factions. And when he came out for me, that was a joyous day. And I'm feeling something in my gut now as I say that because I knew he came out because he was unfocused in Africa. He told the BBC, the reason he came out of the bush is because of the radio station, that's the UN radio station, and a program that I did, right? Mentioned me by name and called me Auntie Sheila. So that was really good. He came out and he, because we told them, you know, we never had the special court. We never had the TRC at the time. And we really never want those things. You know, the UN in Sierra Leone never really want those things. It was pushed by the U.S. government, mostly, and the Brits. And so when I heard that, I realized that we were getting somewhere, right? There were things that I could say on the radio that my staff couldn't say, right, because they will beat them up, kill them, or something like that. And that staff member has, you know, gotten beaten up by, you know, the police, actually, for instance. And so this was just one example on my show, Peace Talk, where I brought, I was the person that brought the, the three factions together on Peace Talk to talk about the peace and to talk. And my, one, my first question to them was this, how can you leave your country and go into a neighboring country and muster up its rules to come back and attack your own country. It's like going outside and stoning your own house. And that 
kind of uh, had their heads like spinning, you know, and they never thought of it that way, if you receive my meaning. So I think some of the things that I were doing, there were people who were afraid for me, um, and they, the government listened to, the, to my breakfast show every morning. It was important for them to listen to it because they listened in such a way that they, you know, we were doing good work when the Minister of Presidential Affairs, that under the instruction of the, the president of the country, Tijan Kaba at the time, asked him to write this letter to Kofi Annan to remove me from Sierra Leone because I was inciting violence in the country. Uh-oh. Right? And you were really but, doing the opposite. But they couldn't move me. You know, the Nigerian said, if she goes, the same time she leaves, the planes with Nigerian soldiers will leave. And you know, they were leading the peacekeeping mission. Right? So Sheila gets to stay where she was. You see? And it just, it took a long time for you, even for the staff, ladies. Um, the, 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 the staff that came to us from the radio stations were used to being controlled by the government, their bosses and the government. And let's not go to the sexual harassment bit of it. And so they have to describe the shoes he wears, the dress he wears, whatever he has on any minister after that. So you have these long reports kowtowing to the president and to whomever it was. And it, it wasn't about radio. It wasn't about information. Because the people really needed information. The people in the interland wasn't getting it. And remember, I was learning on the job. Right? And when I say learning on the job, I've never been to a war zone before. I have been to, quote, the one elsewhere when I worked for UNDP. But that was on the development. Not keep keeping, right? Yeah. So, uh, so you were learning on the job, but you were using your uh, your experience and your insight to try to get to the real people with information and hear what they had to say and uh, and let them talk. What were some of the things that the women talked about on the radio? Okay, the first thing we did where women were concerned. Here is something that will interest the listeners and and my colleagues here is that we, we do the DDR. We need another program to talk about that. This well, is a disarmament, demobilization, and reintegration of fighters. So the U.S. offer $150 for the boys to give up their guns. Now remember, boys weren't the only ones that were kidnapped. Girls were kidnapped also, right? And girls fought also, but they couldn't get $150. Do you get my meaning? Yeah. So the boys would come out of the bush. They would hand in their RPG, their AK-47, get the money, go to the demobilization center a little bit after they go back to the bush. Right? And they go back to the bush and get the guns from the girls to bring to get more money for themselves, not for the girls. Ooh. Right? And then I learned also that our girls, well, the girls that they had taken, were the highest of intelligence. They were the ones that were trained to come to town and being the nightclub and sleep with officials from uh, military observers to um, any embassy official who were picking up girls or whatever it is. And they were able to get information from these 
people that they were sleeping with or with or whatever it is. So the yeah. girls were used in different ways. So what happened now, once we discovered that, and I don't want to jump too fast, we decided to do a big women's march in Sierra Leone. That was the first thing we did. And, um, and all the women came out from everywhere. Even people who were afraid to come out, came out and the stadium was packed with women calling for an end to the war, calling for development, calling for an end to this, to that, to whatever it is. That was a powerful day. And we didn't end it there because we went to another place in Sierra Leone where we never thought of going, right, because they were fighting there recently. And we went out there and there was a local artist who came in from South Africa who was a Sierra Leonean who gave a concert for everybody out in the, huh. in the boondock somewhere. Let's talk to uh, Kate Raphael, who is in Berkeley, California. And uh, she is a senior producer of Women's Magazine, which is a long time running program on uh, the Pacifica Radio, community radio station KPFA in Berkeley, California. And uh, she says in her bio, she's a lifelong feminist and queer activist, has been involved with this women's magazine show since 2005. Hi, Kate. Are you there? I'm here. Oh, good. So tell us a little bit about how you got into uh, community radio and what you've been doing with it. Well, I had come back from Palestine, and I was kind of reintegrating into life in the Bay Area. I had been a journalist, a print journalist, off and on for many years, as I make my living through clerical work, but it's, and movement work is my passion, but I had always written, and it was actually Lisa Detmer who was part of the collective that was putting together this feminist show who recruited me initially saying, oh, don't you want to do a piece about Palestinian lesbians? And, of course, I did. You know, when you do something like go to Palestine, I spent about 18 months there doing human rights work, and everybody that you meet says, go back and tell people our stories, which is what gave birth to my novels, but also definitely doing something on the radio seemed like a good way to fulfill that commitment. So initially I was just going to do this one piece, maybe do something else now and then, but I just loved it. And it really, I, I love the immediacy of being able to interview somebody and put it on the air right away and you know, there's not the time lag of researching a story and writing it and then <laughs> trying to get it published. So it just definitely I felt like I had found my home. I think Arlene said that. And, you know, that that definitely was my experience. I also just found that, I mean, first of all, you know, KPFA is, one of the oldest, maybe the oldest community-sponsored radio station in the country. And it's a progressive station, but feminism is mm -hmm. is very embattled in that environment. And, you know, there's not a, it's not a given that progressive includes feminists. 
So for many years after the lockout in 99, when things were reconstituted, there had been a women's department that had, before that, I think that had like 13 hours of programming every week. Wow, and after, yes. after the show was reconstituted, or after the station was reconstituted, they eliminated all of that programming. And the idea was that all the programs were going to do a lot of feminist programming. And guess what didn't happen? So, you know, it was a struggle for women to get this show. And I felt like we needed to fight for that, that it's unacceptable in at that point, 2005. Now it's 2017. We still only have, this is still the only hour of specifically feminist and gender-centered programming on the public airwaves in the immediate Bay Area, Oakland, San Francisco, Berkeley, Marin. We don't have any other show like this. So, you know, it seems like we're able to give women an opportunity, a place where they can be heard, where they can talk about the work that they're doing, publicize their events. We try to be really accessible to local artists and authors and activists who might not be big enough or well-known enough to get a platform on the NPR stations. You know, we really try to showcase the diversity of the Bay Area. Of course, we don't do as good of a job as we would like to and as we should do, but we're always trying to be more accessible to more communities and, you know, just hold on to this little corner where people can talk about the things that are important to them. This struggle to hold on to women's airtime, mm -hmm. to get it and then to hold on to it, goes back a long way. And one of the reasons that Wings was started back, uh, we started working on it in 1985, was because we knew that women's programs were having a hard time keeping their airtime. And uh, if they changed hosts or if somebody couldn't come, because women are really busy, <laughs> couldn't come uh, one week or something like that, they would they would give up their airtime if they didn't have any content. And so uh, we created this half hour a week of content that we were offering to women's radio programs to help tide them over if they needed to to go over gaps. And of course, you know, a lot of stations now have wings on in its own right. Often it's a lead in to a uh, to a local women's program or something like that. But um, yeah, I remember the struggles at uh, KPFA. I remember the women's department there because when we started wings, it was out of the Bay Area. And I remember uh, after I left the Bay Area, um, women from Women's Magazine calling me up and saying, we just heard that Women's Magazine is going to be canceled. And I would phone up the program director there, whom I knew, and I, and beg not to cancel Women's Magazine. And that worked for a few years, and then it was canceled, but then it came back. Yeah, yeah and, you know, the Women's Department was actually started through a sit-in. I mean, I wasn't here then. I think that was back in the 70s. But women actually had to take over the offices in order to get mm -hmm. the programming. Huh. And, yeah, I mean, for many years after we started, we were constantly embattled. We were always being told we weren't good enough. And, I mean, we were definitely learning, and it takes 
some years to get really good at what you do, but it's also not like anybody was saying, let us help you get better. <laughs> so, and And what is true is that, you know, the value of the place that we were providing for women in the community who don't have other outlets to talk about what they're doing, you know, there wasn't really an appreciation for that. I think that things are a little better now. Yeah, uh, I hope so. Uh, I think it's the kind of thing that uh, you have to keep struggling for those kinds mm-hmm. of spaces. If you stop, um, other people, you know, will move in on the space because uh, there is competition. And I think a lot of times the women don't think that they're good enough when they really are. There's kind of a, um, well, one of the things that happened when uh, when KPFA was talking about canceling the women's show, they said, well, they don't have the same host all the time. They have different hosts all the time. And some of them sound, you know, like amateurs. And uh, But heck, it was community radio. And this whole thing of emphasizing professionalism and identifying with one mm-hmm. uh person who's going to be your host all the time. I mean, that's all very well in marketing, but it's completely different from community access and putting real people on the air. And I think that authenticity is kind of catching on now. <laughs> that, well, uh, yeah. yeah, and I mean, that really privileges, it privileges, since we're all volunteers, if you take the approach that you need one person to do it every week and sound really professional, that obviously privileges people with already the most education, the most time to spend doing it week after week and spending the kind of time that it takes to get everything really polished. And, you know, it it makes you less accessible to women with a lot of different kinds of experience that their experience, maybe they weren't journalists. You know, maybe writing is not the thing they do most easily. Maybe they're they have accents, or they don't come from this country. You know, but that's how people sound, and so there's not an appreciation that there's going to be listeners out there who identify with them, who don't identify with the person who sounds like this American life. Right. And to be frank, uh, Ira Glass, who who hosts This American Life, has a terrible radio voice by the old standards. And uh, he managed to persevere. Uh, We should all persist. You know, but he also said something that I just really love. That's, you know, one of my mantras, which is that when you're first doing anything, you're not very good at it. And you you have something in your head, which is what you want to sound like and then there's the reality and sort of learning any craft is about getting closer and closer bringing the reality closer and closer to what your ideal sounds like and nobody does that overnight and if you can't learn it at community radio where can you learn it you know working for free i mean if this isn't a place where it's okay to sometimes stumble then where is that going to be and, you know, I also wanted to emphasize the thing, too, that Arlene was saying about the uniqueness of 
needing to find a woman expert on every subject, which is really not that difficult, but <laughs> you do have to look for it. Like, like if you're just reading the New York Times op-eds, which I do regularly, and you know, if you're just sort of looking for who is being interviewed in the mainstream media on certain subjects, a lot of times they're not going to be women. So, for instance, at the beginning in 2008, at the beginning of the financial crash, I started noticing that, like, you're hearing economists just nonstop on the radio, but where were the feminist economists? I hadn't heard any. I asked all around. I asked every host I knew, do you have sources? Nobody had any. So I start digging around, and I find out there's this whole association, the International Association of Feminist Economists, you know, every academic econ department, like every university econ department has somebody who specializes in gender and feminist economics, and those people were not being interviewed, and they were not getting a platform, and I interviewed a number of them. I went and met a number of them at a conference that was here in San Francisco, and I asked them, I was like, why aren't I hearing you all on the radio? And they were like, thank you for asking that question. We've been wondering the same thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. There was a uh, a show, a women's radio station. It probably still exists in uh, Norway. And I interviewed some women from that. And they said, sometimes you have to ask the women more. That the You ask a woman and the first thing she says is, oh, well, there's a man who knows more than I do. He's an expert. And the women don't necessarily characterize themselves as experts, but they are. Okay. Yeah, Rose Aguilar, who's a local very popular radio host. She has done a lot of work. She does workshops called Using Your Voice, which are encouraging women to speak up more in various, in every context, from asking for a raise to writing op-eds, trying to get an op-ed published in the New York Times. And, And she makes that point that she said, you know, so often when she contacts a woman, they'll say, oh, well, let me put you in touch with my boss. And She's like, let me guess, your boss is a man, and it usually is, and that she has to really urge them to believe in their ability to represent their issue. You were listening to an excerpt of a Women's International News Gathering Service webcast about women in community radio, hosted by Frida Worden. The two community broadcasters featured were Sheila Katzman and Kate Raphael. And that's all we have time for today. Women on the Line is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at womenontheline at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from the 3CR website. That's 3cr.org.au. Go to the Women on the Line page and follow the links to this week's show. Thanks for tuning into the show. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.